Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Spooky, creepy podcast. So spook, so scare, yes. The spooky season is upon us. I don't know about you, I got the chills. Jack-o'-lanterns line the streets. Skeletons peer out of closets. And a spooky ghost has arisen just behind you. Ah! <laughs> we have gathered to tell spooky antique tales. Antiques-themed creepypasta. Because, as a creepypasta connoisseur, Dee has dug up some truly devilish tales. Delightfully devilish. So spooky. So wherever you are, turn your lights down low. Put on a Hallmark Haunted House Sounds soundtrack. Settle in and listen. The Kaleidoscope by Anonymous. While honeymooning in Maine, my wife and I stopped in the picturesque town of Booth Bay on a particularly dreary and rainy day. Since our planned picnic was out of the question, we sought shelter in a dilapidated little antique store near the harbor. While my wife inspected the large chests and side tables near the door, I eagerly examined the antique tools and seafaring equipment inside the glass sales counter at the back. Being a collector of optics and mariner's instruments, I hoped to find a sextant, or perhaps an old leather-bound telescope. A particularly interesting piece caught my eye. It appeared to be a heavy brass flashlight, bearing a worn brown patina, but remarkably modern in design. I asked the shopkeeper, but he could only tell me it was found in the same old sailor's chest as several of the compasses and the sextant also on display. He inquired as to whether I would like to purchase it for five dollars, or perhaps have it for free. It's worthless to me. Nobody wants it. Really talking it up here he is. <laughs> I wonder why you're having trouble selling. Art of the deal. When I remarked about the price, or lack thereof, he sighed warily, and then reached into the cabinet and retrieved it for me. Here. See for yourself, feller. The craftsmanship was wonderful. Quite durable and apparently handmade. Perhaps somewhere in Europe. <laughs> in the Europe, such as. Wow, what a guess. Really, really narrowed it down. I am reminded of the dealer who told me the horn was from either Ireland, the Alps, or Nepal. It's so hard to tell because they're right next to each other. You know. <laughs> Worn lettering indicated it might be German or perhaps Austrian in origin. I twisted the bulb housing and a weak red beam swept out. Poking it into a dark corner of the shop, I was greeted with fantastic monotone swirls moving and entwining with each other like a pit of eels. As I stared further into this unusual projector kaleidoscope, my fanciful mind invented ghoulish faces and sinuous, gnarled tendrils. Shutting the device off, I turned excitedly to the shopkeeper. Fantastic, I said. It must have an oil filter of sorts in front of the lens. I have two Victorian kaleidoscopes, but none that are illuminated like this. You don't get it, do ya? Nobody gets it. No one understands me. <laughs> Crawling in me skin. <laughs> they all come back to return it after a while. The shopkeeper leaned on the counter and I could see that he was breathing heavily and perspiring. They all think it's some sort of trick. Till they start seeing it when the light's off. That ain't no projection, mister. That damned thing, that light. It ain't making up those creatures. It's just letting your eyes see what's already there. 
Oh my god. Uh, I'm spooked. Dun, dun, dun. I'm spooked and scared. I'm scared. I'm breathing heavily and perspiring. I don't know about you. Literally crying and shaking. Dude, that kaleidoscope might have come from Europe. Oh my god. I think my favorite line in that one is, you can have it for $5 or free. <laughs> like, mm, let me pick. Would you care to give us the next tale of terror, my good man? I would. I will read for the honor of the Midnight Society the story That New Antique Mirror by Anonymous. <laughs> I just hired my sister's kid to help out around the antique shop. He's not the brightest crane in the box, constantly asking common sense questions, but he comes in handy. One day he was especially annoying, kept asking about a new mirror shipment I had received. Without really listening to his questions, sorry, without really listing to his questions, I would give him one-word responses to get him to bug off. This technique helped and kept both parties happy until one day he'd asked me, how do I get my reflection in that mirror to face me? <laughs> Not the sharpest crayon in the box, indeed. How young is this person? <laughs> I mean, I feel like how do I get my reflection in that mirror to face me is an effective twist. It is, but it's forcing me to inhabit a world where the kid thought that that was normal. <laughs> it is, yes. And like, I'm having trouble imagining even a child going, huh, sister, how do I turn this around? <laughs> turn the beat around. Love to see that ghost, yeah. Turn it upside down. Getting hit with copyright strikes. <laughs> that was not nearly on key enough to get a copyright strike. True. But D, perhaps you will grace us with yet another eerie tale of antiques haunting. The Idol by Cosby DAF. Sure. Actually, something of an infamous creepypasta writer, so, you know. Yeah? Yeah, the writer of uh, Godzilla NES. Oh. Which, against all odds, is an extremely popular creepypasta. Wow. <laughs> in the early 80s, an episode of the show, Antiques Roadshow, ended in tragedy when the auction house caught on fire, killing everyone inside. Okay, well... <laughs> Already, what an opener. Already my suspension of disbelief is a little broken. <laughs> really going for the throat of that suspension of disbelief. <laughs> I guess it would be very spooky if Antiques Roadshow spontaneously combusted, but... It would be extremely scary. It's also very easy to prove that it didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's that is the thing. But, you know, we're willing to enter this fantasy world where this happened. Sure. For years, there was no indication of what started the fire, but the recovery of a camera that was being used to film the episode offers a look into the last few minutes before the fire started. It was near the end of the episode, and an appraiser, James, <laughs> they don't come with last names here. Ah, uh, yes, my favorite appraiser, James! To protect his identity? Like, <laughs> he's not real. You could give it. James the appraiser. You remember James the appraiser? He was the best before he spontaneously combusted. <laughs> An appraiser, James, had come to the table of a disheveled, tired-looking man named David, which describes all antiques dealers, <laughs> who had with him a strange bronze idol of some monstrous being. Everyone else in the room was notably keeping their distance. I mean, yeah, they want to stay out of shot if they're filming. Yeah, like, that's usually a camera crew. James looked at the idol, appearing rather nervous. He tells David that this was a bit out of his range, and asks David why he didn't take it to a museum. 
<laughs> like they do on Antiques Roadshow. Often. Well, they've stopped doing that since the fire, you know. Well, yeah. I like the idea that this episode of Antiques Roadshow decided to film appraiser James just going, I don't know anything about this. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like that's Sometimes they do say that, though. Sometimes they do say it's unlike anything they've ever seen before and they're not quite sure how to appraise it, but they'll do their best. But then then they usually cut to, like, two weeks from now we found an ex- You know, they have a thing. They have a system. A system that usually doesn't end in spontaneous combustion, but there's a first time for everything. True. David ignores the question and asks James what the idol is. <laughs> James just said he didn't know. James explains that this isn't- I Okay, apparently he's not that out of his depth. James explains that this is an idol made by the Tikalans, an offshoot of the Mayan civilization, which started their own culture around 2800 BC. I don't know if that's even correct. Uh, feel free to fact check that, people listening. Not that the Tikalan- I know the Tikalans are fake, they're not real. The Tikalans had a separate religion from the Mayans, which was dubbed Jarkanism by archaeologists. Was it, though? This is 100% real. Okay. Don't you remember the Great Fire? Oh, uh, every day. James briefly explains that the that the Jarkanism was a monotheist. <laughs> the Jark, you know, <laughs> the Christianity. Such as. <laughs> Such as. James briefly explains that the Zarkanism was a monotheistic religion in which the creator of the earth and humanity was an evil being called Jarka figures. The Tikalans believed only an evil being would create a world with so much pain and suffering. They reasoned that all good in the world was a result of Jarka being asleep, and so they constantly sacrificed humans. Constantly. Constantly. Every day they're sacrificing humans. Tikalans and outsiders alike to ensure Jarka would remain in that state unclear how killing people makes him sleepy. <laughs> this is a lot of information for someone who said that he didn't know what he was looking at. At a certain point, I feel like James was just kind of freewheeling it, just kind of going wildly off script <laughs> as the people behind the cameras desperately tried to cut. <laughs> James is just like, fine, you won't leave? Here, uh... Isn't that the strategy, though, when the customer demands a story and demands a story and demands a story and you don't have one, you just make one up? Yeah, that's true. I've done it. Yeah. All right, then. Lay off James! First the poor man burns to death, and now this? Eh, ah, sorry. Rough on James. James then says he believes David's idol may actually be a depiction of Jarka, which would be stunning given that he started this whole description by saying this is a depiction of Jarka, who had been described in ancient texts as having a skull-like face, two cranial horns, and a tail. <laughs> a detailed description. A skull with horns and a tail. Incredible. Um... <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's very, very, paints a real picture. Doesn't super narrow it down, actually, but continue. James gives an estimate that he could easily sell this to a museum for upwards of five million dollars. Whoa. <laughs> not, not how anything works, James. <laughs> Least of all museums. David is completely unfazed and prepares to get up and leave. <laughs> Why are you here, David? Thank you for that appraisal. Goodbye. <laughs> I don't care. Goodbye. James then remarks about the idol. Besides, I'm sure you'll be glad to be getting rid of that ugly thing. David then starts shuddering and tells James, You shouldn't talk about it like that. Oh no. People scream in terror as James is suddenly incinerated. Whoa! Along with the building around oh. them as the camera falls to the ground. This is the last viewable scene on the tape. Oh my god. Do people know about this? Oh my god, do people know about this? About the Jarkinism? Some research was made as to how the wreckage was dealt with. What the fuck does that sentence even mean? <laughs> what? 
It means some research was made as to how the wreckage was dealt That is a Varney the Vampire level nonsense sentence. This is considered one of the higher up creepypastas that you can find. Is it though? Yeah. Incredible. I still don't understand how this gets to Slenderman's mansion. It's on Slenderman's mantle. Right, but like, does David get to go to the mansion because he incinerated Antiques Roadshow? No, David just kind of showed up and was disinterested in the entire proceedings. So I don't know that he did anything in particular. Some research was made as to how the wreckage was dealt with. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) The research found. The burned bodies of all the attendants were found. Every single one? Every single one. That's an incredible record for like a search and recovery. Yeah. Like usually some people are just missing. Especially considering it says James is incinerated. So like the fact that they found James was pretty impressive. Yeah. So you don't, you don't find, there's not much left of him. They they swept him up. Okay. (laughs) The burned bodies of all the attendants were found along with several destroyed antiques. Now hang on. Now don't let it be said that Jark has ever taken his anger out on an innocent antique. Hang on. So, building catches fire, everyone burns to death, but only some of the antiques are destroyed? Yes. Every human being is killed, the building is incinerated, and several antiques were destroyed, tragically. So do the other antiques just get up and walk away? Like I said, don't ever let it be said that Jarka is cruel to antiques. Okay. (laughs) Jarka has a soft spot. No remnants of the idol were found. Whoa. Bum, bum, bum. Then who was phone? <laughs> what did you think of that one, Ken? I just can't believe I've never seen this episode of Antiques Roadshow. I also find that it's interesting that among these several antiques destroyed by the fire, the film depicting the events was not destroyed, which is funny because if we know anything, it's that film loves to spontaneously combust. <laughs> It really doesn't take much for film to go up in smoke, is the thing. Yeah, but, you know, this this one guy, he fireproofed his whole camera. Oh, okay. That cameraman was, like, actually, like, an attendant of Jarka. Uh... I also, I feel like I should be, I should, like, back up and clarify that part of why the description of the idol is not so good is because this creepypasta originally came with an original illustration of the idol. Is it a crude Photoshop? I'm really hoping it's a crude Photoshop. No, it's it's actually, uh, the guy who writes these is also, like, a really talented sprite artist. Show me the idol. I don't want to come off as too harsh here, but I do think that his illustration skills are better than his writing. That's the idol of Jarka, which does have a skull, two cranial horns, and a tail, to be fair. It certainly does, but I don't... Sometimes you see people who have arguably a talent... And yet, the purposes to which they have bent this talent are truly baffling. Yeah, a lot of the illustrations for NES Godzilla are, like, actually really cool, and I like the art a lot, but then the story that goes along with it is just, like... Is NES Godzilla? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, and it's, like, over 5,000 fucking words. It's, like, a small novel, and it's all about how, like, my Super Nintendo scared the hell out of me one day. (laughs) A jolt of fear runs through me. But I think our final story will be even scarier. Oh, I'm sh- I'm crying and shaking. Don't let the antiquer know you're lost by Nick Knock 246. A good rule to go by at Brimfield. <laughs> Always a good rule to go by. It all started because I wanted to be a good person. I had taken some old things of mine, stuff from my parents' house that I had shoved in the back of my closet and donated them to Habitsville's local second-hand shop. 
I figured someone else could use my threadbare Habitsville High t-shirts more than I was at the time. What I didn't intend, however, was to give away Bob. This next bit is a little embarrassing. Bob is a small pink stuffed bear with a little jingle inside his stomach. I've had him since I was a baby, and although I've outgrown other such childish things, Bob is sacred. That's why, heart sinking, I retraced my steps last Thursday back to the second-hand store where I was sure Bob had accidentally slipped into one of my donation boxes. It took some coaxing, but an employee eventually informed me that Bob had already been purchased. A tingle of silly grief swept through me. But then I was given hope. Bob had been bought by Nora Van de Velde, owner and chief proprietor, along with her two sisters, of Narrow Street Antiques, right here in Habitsville. A quaint little bell chimed when I entered the shop. The musty smell of decay and history hugged my nostrils, not in an unpleasant way. The shop was crowded, but not with people. The sheer amount of things, even just in the foyer, was insane. Books were stacked higher than my head, their spines peeling with age. Knickknacks and figurines covered every surface, and I suddenly became hyper-aware of my limbs. I made my way inside, carefully. At the front desk were three women, the Vandeveld sisters. Two were seated in rocking chairs on either side of the counter, their eyes dark under cloth hats, knitting slowly from a single ball of yarn in a centered basket. It was impossible to tell what they were making. Something large and dark. In the center, standing perfectly still, was Nora Vandeveld. She had wild gray hair and a lined face with sharp eyes that locked onto me as soon as I entered. Good afternoon, she said, her voice a cold and unconcerned rasp. Welcome to Narrow Street Antiques. Can I help you find anything? I took a few steps towards her, already unreasonably nervous. Yes, uh, I'm looking for a specific item I was told you purchased from the second-hand store a few days ago. It's like a small ellipses stuffed bear. Jingles. Pink? I asked hopefully. She smiled, her aged lips curling upwards so slowly I thought they might creak. Oh, yes, we've put that particular items onto our shelves. He's around here somewhere. Her grin widened, and I subconsciously took one step back. Why don't you go find him? I gazed over my shoulder. There was a ton of stuff in here, sure, but judging from the shoddy exterior of the building, this place wasn't that big. I'm not one to complain about customer service, so I just nodded. Okay, thank you. I turned heel and headed into the opening between the stacks of books. Good luck. Just make your way up to the counter once you find Bob. I nodded before entering the slim aisle. By the time I realized I never actually told Nora Bob's name, I couldn't see the front counter anymore. <gasps> Gasp. My first hour or so, at least what felt like an hour, went smoothly. My eyes were peeled for any sign of my stuffed friend, and as I weaved through tall wooden cabinets lined with figurines and racks of sweaters from the 1980s, I actually found myself enjoying the hunt. Walking deeper into the antique shop was like rappelling down a ravine. Every few feet, a new strata of time was revealed. The only thing that troubled me was that I had been there for an hour and still hadn't found the back wall of the antique shop. Not only had I not found the back wall, but I hadn't turned or moved out of this single aisle for quite some time. It was like one particular path had been built for the customers to move through, so slim that if one wanted to move in front of another, they would literally have to climb on top of each other. If I was claustrophobic, I might have had to turn back. I suppose that was why they called it Narrow Street Antiques. I had an old toy truck in my hands when I first saw it. I was considering the fact that perhaps Bob wasn't actually out in the shop, that Nora had been mistaken, that I was in the wrong place. It was during this thought that it happened. 
There, in the very corner of my eye, just for a moment, a flash of something dark and quick. I turned my head quickly, but there was nothing. I didn't think much of it. Then I turned my head again, back towards the front. There, blocking the only path forward, was a huge shape. It was dark, foreboding, and utterly terrible. It wasn't a person, necessarily. It was like a heavy blanket had been draped over a set of stilts, and a bowling ball had been balanced at the top. <laughs> Flies buzzed around its head, or what I assumed was its head, and the scent of decay and death wafted towards me in a powerful wave. There are a few times in my life when I had felt pure, unfiltered dread such as this. I stood completely still and the figure did the same, except there was movement beneath its sheet, small shifting as though the entire shape was vibrating. Then, through a little wing-sized hole in the front of the sheet, something came out. A tiny pink and plump child's finger. Ah! My breathing was shallow as the finger pointed at me. Then the entire figure lurched forward, swaying as though the top was attached to the bottom. Alright. Did they mean to say swaying as though the top was not attached to the bottom? Because usually, when I see an entire figure, the top is attached to the bottom. That's normal, actually. Yeah. Yeah, when I see any single thing, generally the top is attached to the bottom. Generally speaking, yes. I was still stuck in my fear-driven paralysis. It got closer, and my eyes watered from the wretched smell. It was like my feet were incapable of turning back, running back down the slight path and out the door. The buzzing of the flies got louder and louder. I shut my eyes, and then it all stopped. I opened them again to see that the creature was gone. Not even a fly remained. I was shaking violently, crying and shaking. I didn't need Bob this badly. I raised a foot to turn back, and it refused to budge. It was like some invisible barrier existed between myself and the back half of the path. Frightened at the prospect of being stuck in the spot to wait for the creature to return, I tried to step forward. It was as easy as it had ever been. The message was clear. There was no choice but to continue. Ooh. I can't be certain, but I believe three days passed in the antique store until I saw the creature again. It's hard to be sure of the time because, as far as I can tell, the shop never closed. The lights overhead never shut off. I didn't hear the door at the front open or close either, but that could be because I had traveled a great distance from there to here. It was strange. I didn't feel hungry or thirsty. I never had to use the bathroom. I didn't need to sleep. I would think I was exaggerating the time had about three days worth of stubble not sprouted from my chin. I was somewhere in the 1940s when I thought I saw Bob. Amid a slew of war memorabilia and faded postcards, I saw it, something like a little light pink arm sticking out amongst some other worn stuffed animals. I grabbed onto it, pulling eagerly. Nora had told me, albeit multiple days prior, that if I found Bob, I can bring him back to the register. I had to hold on to the hope that once I found what I was looking for, I would be able to leave the shop. I yanked it loose, but it wasn't Bob. Instead, in my hand, I held a tiny child's finger. <gasps> Immediately, I dropped it to the ground, feeling that familiar rush of anger that often accompanies a terrifying surprise. It bounced once on the surface before lying still, a tiny Vienna sausage. <laughs> okay, buddy. I stared at it. That feeling of hope when I had first thought I had found what I was looking for was extinguished, and instead a crushing feeling of hopelessness and despair filled me. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. I couldn't find my way out. I was lost. As soon as I had that thought, I jumped back. The finger, which had been lying still, moved. It flipped so the nail was facing upward towards me. Then, slowly, it began to inch its way along, continuing down the narrow path. <laughs> what a visual! I looked up, and there he was. He stood still, the antiquer. If he had eyes, I assumed they were fixed on me. We remained, me paralyzed by my immobile feet and he waiting in place, as the finger dragged itself across the floor over to him. I thought it might stop when it got to the edge of his shroud, but instead it merely crawled underneath. 
It joined the scattered movement that caused the material to jolt around. And then I saw it again. The child's finger emerged from the hole in the shroud and pointed at me. It was happening all again. It didn't stop from happening. <laughs> the lurching movement towards me, the flies buzzing around, some hitting my face in their flurry. The smell nearly made me vomit. Perhaps I would have if I could move, but the only thing there was to do was to watch the figure approach. I didn't shut my eyes this time. I watched as it reached a close distance, about six inches in front of me. Then it bent at the middle, the top leaning down over me. I felt hot breath in the cold sweat that had broken out across my forehead. There was something in there beneath the shadow, that much I knew, but I couldn't bring myself to lift my chin and see it for myself. And then it was gone. Another shudder rattled through my tired body. My eyes were watering from the acrid smell and from relief. My chest was heavy with a terrible uncertainty, and yet I was sure of two things. One, I was irrevocably in love with Edward Cullen. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. One, I never wanted to see that thing again, and two, the only place to go was onward. By my second or third week at Narrow Street Antiques, I thought I had found a way to keep the antiquer away. I started waving beanie babies around and shouting loudly how they were worth at least $16,000. <laughs> That'll keep them away. I'm still kind of fucked up on that the thing's head is just a bowling ball. But a really scary one. But like, a very yeah, very spooky bowling ball. Very scary. Thinking about it now, when my mind is less plagued with whatever influence the shop held over me those weeks, it's hard to say whether or not I was right. But this was at least my working theory. The antiquer is looking for lost things, because that's what antiques are, right? No. No. Things unstuck in time. <laughs> also, no. Items that have outgrown their usefulness, no. Their relevance, no. And so their natural place is no longer as a singular object. What are you talking about? I don't understand. An antique is meant to be picked up, dusted off, and added to a collection. Okay, yeah, but that follows, but that doesn't track with everything else you were saying. That's just a disconnected thought that happens to be true in this collection of unconnected thoughts. What is a creepypasta but a bunch of unconnected thoughts that have outgrown their usefulness? You know what? You're right. <laughs> you make a compelling point. And I think if I get lost enough, the antiquer will add me to his. Ooh. Oh, just like Slenderman in his mansion. Oh, he's going to take him to Slenderman. I was in the late 1800s by that point, the items around me growing more decayed and broken with each step that I took. I had learned something new, something incredibly exciting. The path that I had been following, miles and miles on the same straight line through the seemingly endless shop, was not the only road available to me. My eyes had grown heavy and unfocused while I was trudging along, and my foot caught on the leg of a table. I stumbled, holding out my arm to catch my fall against a large wardrobe to my right, and when I did, it rocked ever so slightly. It created a gap in the wall of old knickknacks that surrounded me just for a moment, and through that crack I could see it. A new path. Then the wardrobe fell back into place, and it was gone. I heaved against the wardrobe, pressing my shoulder hard against this wooden surface. It was incredibly heavy, but at this point, multiple weeks, if not months in this antique shop, I was as determined as I had ever been. I nudged the bulky piece of furniture inch by inch, step by step, <laughs> until I created a crevice that was wide enough for me to slip through. The new path took my breath away. Not because it was beautiful, no, far from it. Because it was terrifying. A real H.P. Lovecraft over here, telling us everything's terrifying without ever actually creating any terrifying imagery. Here's the thing. It was very scary. <laughs> you gotta trust me. If you saw this bro, dude, you'd be scared. They were baby dolls. Not modern ones, either. I wouldn't expect them to be. You're literally in an antique shop. That is the entire point of the story. <laughs> this is so cheap. I... Baby doll scary is such a is such a like cold horror take. I mean, I'm about to make a million dollars on Etsy with that very take, but we'll see. True. 
These had to be from the 1700s, maybe even older, all made of cracked china with faded red lips and black dot eyes. Hey, D. Yeah. China dolls, those are a 19th century thing, right? Oh, largely, yeah. 1700s China dolls, maybe even older. <laughs> yeah, older than, like, older than 19th century, they tend to not be made out of China. Yeah, so, okay. I know in every time we read a fiction about antiques, we come away from it wishing the writer knew more about antiques or cared more about antiques. I just... It's a common thread, isn't it? Yeah. They were dressed in plain cloth dresses and gingham trousers. Did gingham exist in the 1700s? Hang on, let me look that up real quick. It's going to bother me. Yeah, I was going to say, this is going to haunt me if I don't know. Okay. When originally imported into Europe in the 17th century, gingham was a striped fabric that is now distinguished by its checkered pattern. Ah. The more you know. Fascinating. While I'm here. Porcelain doll invented when? Oh, good. Yeah, it was, hold on, I'm gonna take a wild guess and say it was early 1800s French, right? Because it was all, it started with bisque porcelain? It started with glazed china. And antique china dolls were predominantly produced in Germany approximately between 1840 and 1940, with a peak in popularity between roughly 1840 and 1890. Unglazed bisque dolls became popular after 1850. Ah, okay. So yes, we were right about the china dolls. We were wrong about the gingham. Okay, I can live with that. And through this, we have all learned and grown as people. Cool, even in creepypasta we can learn some stuff. Returning to the creepypasta. They weren't lined on shelves or sat up on tables. They made up the walls themselves. Oh god, doll walls. <laughs> Dolly wall. Wall of dolls. A sea of them on either side, and when I looked up, I could see they covered the ceiling as well, a tunnel forming that I couldn't see the end of. And when I looked closer, I could see it. Something strange, even stranger than what I'd already seen. <gasps> None of the dolls had their fingers. That's extremely common with uh, porcelain dolls. Yeah, they're small, they're narrow, they break off easily. Like, that's usually the first thing to go off a doll. What if this entire fucking story got written because this guy went into an antique store and saw a doll with broken fingers and thought, oh god, only a ghost could do this? It feels very that. <laughs> oh boy. Absolute terror gripped me. A thousand beady eyes staring at me, no sign of what I had come for, and though I tried to beat it back down, I was feeling more lost than ever. As soon as the inkling crossed my mind, there he was. The antiquer, standing still as he always was, blocking my path as he always did. I couldn't fight it this time, I couldn't reassure myself, couldn't look away, certainly couldn't turn back, I just watched the antiquer as he watched me. And then, something started to happen. Fucking finally, the story's been going on for a while. <laughs> Months, even. The shapes that writhed beneath his shroud began to rumble and shake. They moved faster and faster, and soon I saw something I wish I hadn't. The fingers, small and fleshy, began to crawl out from under the antiquer's shroud. They inched faster than the last one had, and as I watched, they did something remarkably horrible. Crawling like caterpillars, they each made their way onto the hand of a doll. How horrible! <laughs> they fixed a lot of dolls. Ah! <laughs> When the last one stopped, there was a moment of stillness. There were no more wriggling shapes under the antiquer's robes. We both stood facing one another. Then the last finger appeared, though the single hole in the shroud, and pointed at me. That was when the dolls began to close in. <laughs> a good sentence. They spilled like water from a dam, in from the walls and down from the ceiling, the only thing propelling them forwards, the fleshy fingers on their dead porcelain hands. They dragged their little bodies along, and as they approached, I tried something desperate. 
sorry. I am lost in what a funny image that is. <laughs> it's a bunch of fucking Victorian dolls being dragged by oversized wriggly fingers. It's a really good image. Oh, shit. I took the first step back that I had in weeks. After that first step, another followed, and soon I was running back down the path, out from behind the wardrobe, and back down the narrow path from where I had come. Fleshy fingers and cold ceramic touched my shoulder for only a moment, but the small space that had led me into the doll hallway had slowed down the figures considerably. Uh, dollway, thank you very much. I was sprinting, my breath hard, and then I skidded to a stop. In front of me, fingers still pointed, suddenly was the antiquer. I looked to my left, where a large shelf stood tall, lined with glass animal figures. With a single push, it crashed to the ground. I ran down this new hallway, lined with decorative kites from the 1800s. I ripped through their carefully preserved paper bodies. Can I just say I don't want this guy to survive anymore? Because he's destroying antiques? Yeah, oh yeah, he's disrespecting the antiques. I mean, he's trying to not die. <laughs> I ran down this new hallway lined with decorative kites from the 1800s. I ripped through their carefully preserved paper bodies and I found myself in another new place, this time lined with novelty can openers from the 1920s. Hey, hey, what the fuck is a vintage novelty can opener? A future episode topic, doubtlessly. I hope this is a real thing and he's not just bullshitting me on this. I glanced behind me as I dug through the metal bits and saw the first hints of the tiny porcelain children appearing down the long stretch as I found a path to somewhere new. 50s kitchen aprons, 60s false teeth, what? 70s record players, all with a different disc playing in a minor key. Ah, that's so scary, they're all in minor. That's the spooky sound. And then suddenly, there we were, 90s stuffed animals. So is it just like a ton of Furbies and my buddies? It must have been, because there, between a giraffe with a rip in his neck and a rabbit with a twisted ear, there was Bob! Yay! I grabbed him, the familiar jingle, briefly bringing me nostalgic calm. I was running again, knowing that I was nearing the front of the store by the time traveling forwards. I dug through the other stuffed animals, throwing them behind me with one hand while I clutched my prize with the other. Then, there was the smallest opening and I could see it. The foyer, where all this had begun weeks before. I stuck one foot through, then my shoulder. I went to step out and then... Something yanked me back, and I turned. One doll, the fastest of them, had clung onto Bob's arm, <laughs> its flesh fingers locked into an iron-tight grip. This is the Secretariat of Dolls, I tell you what. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the Secretariat of Dolls. <laughs> Did it win the Kentucky Dolby? <laughs> Running right out of the dollway, and I'm gonna win the Kentucky Dolby. I pulled. It pulled. There was a long rip, the sound of stitches tearing. Yes, that's what a rip is. Thank you for coming along. Amazing. And then I was out, the only casualty being Bob's left arm. Stuffed animals fell together, closing the gap. It was as though there had never been an opening at all. I panted, my hands on my knees, my body disgusting with the buildup of sweat and fear on my skin. Welcome back. I looked up. There was Nora Vandeveld, standing in the same place she had been when I left her. In fact, she was even wearing the same clothes. And her sisters were still sitting in their rocking chairs, barely any progress made on their knitting since I had left. I moved my mouth, but no words came out, so long had it been since I spoke. Her eyes moved down to Bob and his mangled arm. Oh, it's a shame that's been damaged. I know our shop is a precarious place. She smiled, slow and knowing. This one's on the house. I went home. To my great shock, it was a mere 30 minutes from when I had first entered the shop, despite the beard that had begun to form on my face and the tired feeling in my bones. 
There's still so much that I don't know, understatement of the century, about narrow street antiques and the antiquer that lies within it. But sometimes, in the very corner of my eye, I can see it for a moment. A dark shape vibrating with a thousand tiny fingers, waiting patiently for me to lose my way again. Wow, what a good story. My favorite part is how none of that happened for any reason. There was zero motivation on literally anyone's side, and nothing was gained. (laughs) At the end. This had more antique content than any antique story we've read before on the podcast, except for maybe the Goldfinch. That's true. That's true. There was a lot of great minor world-building antiques details. Some of them off-base, like these 1700s China dolls, but a lot of it intriguing, which I liked. Yeah. I would like to know more about why the owner of this antique shop decides to just put people through hell, like, for fun, I guess? D- You've worked with the general public in boutique retail. Are there not at least a handful of customers you would like to subject to this? Yes, but not like, not like this kind of, I mean, like this person just walked in and said, hey, I'm looking for something, didn't even demand it back, wanted to buy it back. Like, that's not the customer I'd be like, oh, let me put him through the oubliette. Like, (laughs) oh God, it is just the the oubliette from Labyrinth, isn't it? Yeah, like, I, they could have, like, there could have been a reason this particular guy was being tormented for his stuffed bear. I feel like, is it a rule with creepypastas that you have to write them all in order in a single sitting with no editing and never looking back and then immediately post them to Reddit? It's not a rule, it's just a habit. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know that any of these ever get reread. I don't know if there's much editing done. Because, like, classically in a creepypasta, uh, this all would have been, even if it's like, I'm not saying that it has to be like fucking Stephen King or anything. Even if it's hokey, it's usually like, oh, this trial is a lesson. Or the, the Van Develde needs to feed the antiquer and sometimes she has to steal people's stuff and hide it in her fucking crazy shop to get people lost so it can eat. Or, you know, there's like, there's something. Someone somewhere in the story has to have a motivation. Like a single one. And the only one we got is, I want my fucking bear back. Yeah, our hero had a very strong motivation. He wanted his goddamn bear back, and then he got it. I guess I just, I wanted one of the antagonists to have even a sliver of motivation. You know what's crazy? What? I also had a small pink stuffed bear as a child. Did it jingle? It did not jingle. Oh, you know, Bob. Back to the oubliette with you till you find him. God damn it. Third time this week. I also want to know, there are no rules in the antique store because at first you couldn't backtrack and then you suddenly could. Only when you really want to or when the writer thinks of it mid-story because they're just kind of writing the spookiest thing they can think of as it comes to them and not really going back and reconsidering any choices they've made. The rules can change when the story's been going on too long and needs to resolve. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Dee, thank you for finding these spooky stories for us to recount to our friends. But of course, it's actually surprisingly hard to find antiques scary stories, but I had a fun time with these, and they were very entertaining. (laughs) And I hope you think so as well. Hopefully they've gotten everyone in the spooky mood for the season. Ooh, I hope you're ready for the chills and the thrills and the pumpkin spice. Very nice. (laughs) If you would like to send us your antiques-themed creepypasta or just say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. Or you can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. 
If you liked the scary stuff we said today, consider scrolling on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and consider leaving us a hauntingly good review. Every review helps get our scary skeleton voices into a variety of undead ears. Probably just regular living people. If you would like to peruse a wide variety of vintage goods that we promise you won't get lost in and chased by a hundred dolls, check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. I can promise you that if you watch the the shop long enough, you can construct your own hallway of haunted dolls. We have sold an astonishing variety of probably not haunted clowns. There's one on my desk right now that is giving me the most unpleasant side eye that I think is going to be going up tonight. Oh, hell yes. And it's made with real animal fur, so there's no way this thing isn't haunted. If you want more spooky stories, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where we are reading chapter by chapter the genuine Victorian penny dreadful Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood, one of the earliest vampire tales in the English language. And so spooky. Guaranteed to get you in that old Hollywood vampire mood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.